0: Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and from our risen and living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of God which we hear this morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 28, verses 10 to 19. Now Jacob went up from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed. And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city had been Luz previously. So far, the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. If we're not listening carefully, we often misunderstand. A wife might one day remark to her husband, we're out of bread and butter. But we have plenty of eggs. And the husband might return from the store with eggs and beer. If you're not listening carefully, we often misunderstand. And it is clear in our text that Jacob misunderstood and was not listening carefully to the Lord. I will be with you, says the Lord. And what is Jacob's response? The Lord must be in this place? No. The Lord was with Jacob. It was not the place that was special, but it was Jacob whom God had chosen as his own. I will be with you, the Lord says to Jacob. What a wonderful promise that is. What a comforting truth to know and to hear God's promise that he is with us everywhere we go. And yet it's a promise that Jacob missed because he was not listening to what the Lord said. The question is, are we listening to the Lord's promise? At the beginning of our text, Jacob sees stairs ascending into heaven. And yes, they were stairs, not a ladder. I don't know how it got translated as ladder in the first place but the Hebrew word is clearly ascending steps of stone, stairs. Even though I put a ladder on the front of your bulletin because it was the best picture I could find. Stairs going up and the Lord standing on top. Why is the Lord standing on top of the stairs? The normal, natural assumption of our sinful nature is always to assume that the Lord is standing on top of the stairs because he is calling us, to come up to him. That's the normal natural assumption of our sinful nature, but if we try to ascend those stairs we find out very quickly that we like Jacob were not listening. God says very clearly, I will be with you. He does not call Jacob to ascend the stairs, but he makes it clear that the stairs are there so that he can come down to be with Jacob and with us. I I am with you. I will be with you wherever you go. I will not leave you. Nowhere in our text does God command Jacob to come up the stairs, nor does he ever give Jacob a single command. There is not a single thing that Jacob needs to do in order for God to fulfill his promises. God does not say, if you believe, or if you come back, or if you do this, or if you do that. But he simply says, I will be with you. He does not even tell Jacob, you need to come back to this place. but rather he tells Jacob, I will bring you back to this place. The stairs are there for God to come down to us, not for us to go up to God. Jesus himself makes this very clear in the New Testament. He tells us clearly when talking to Nicodemus in John 3.13, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And when Jesus was speaking to Nathanael, he talks about these very stairs that Jacob saw in his dream. And he makes it very clear that those stairs are Jesus himself, and that they are the means by which God comes down to us. And if they are also the means by which we ascend into heaven, it's not because we are able to go up the stairs, but because God came down and carried us up. John 1.51 Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What Jacob saw was a picture of Jesus through whom God would come down to man and make his home with man. I will be with you. That is the eternal covenant that God made with Jacob and that he makes with us. His house is not a place in Israel, but it is here dwelling among us. If you have something that you want to show off, if you have something great that you feel you did really well, and you want to show people, you often invite them to your house. Come and see, come and see the really cool model train that I set up in my basement. Come and see the pool that I built in my backyard. Come and see the marvelous thing that I've done. Yet once again, God, when he wants to show us his marvelous works, does not call us to come up the stairs, but he comes down and portrays and displays his marvelous works among us. The greatest mistake that we often make in life is to assume that when we've fallen into a pit of our own sin, it's up to us to find a way out, to make it back. The harder we try to make it out of the pit, the farther and deeper we dig ourselves in. And at some point, it's impressive just how deeply we can dig our own pit. However, we're going the wrong way. It is God who sends the ladder down, and not only sends the ladder down, but comes down himself to be with us, to do his marvelous works among us. This is what our VBS kids learned this week. Not only that Jesus does the impossible, not only that Jesus does the marvelous, but that he does it among us, every day in our lives, because he is with us. Bethel means the house of God, and Bethel is not that rock that Jacob slept on, but God's own people. The house of God is his people, and he lives with them, and does the impossible in our lives. On day one of our VBS, the children learned how Jesus changed water into wine. And we learned from this that there is nothing too small for God. The marriage feast was out of wine, and we might think, well, that's not a problem to pray to God for. That's something that we have to fix ourselves. And yet, when they asked Jesus, he was happy to help. There is no problem too small that we cannot take it to God in prayer. On day two, Jesus walked on the sea. And not only did he walk on the sea, but he called Peter to come out of the boat and walk with him. We learn that when we are walking with Jesus, or rather Jesus is walking with us because he comes down to us, we can walk right through the storms and the waves of this life without being bothered or troubled by them. Because Jesus is with us, and he does the impossible. On day three, Jesus raised Jairus' daughter. And because Jesus has come down to live among us, death itself is nothing more than a long sleep from which we will one day arise. On day four, Jesus rose himself from the dead and showed himself to his apostles proving that there is nothing that is going to stop Jesus from being with his people. Not even death itself is going to break that covenant which God gave to Jacob, I will be with you. And so Jesus is with us even to this day. And on day five, Jesus again did the impossible. He took Saul, who was persecuting the church of God, and not only called him to faith, but sent him out to preach the good news to every living thing. And God does that same impossible thing in our lives as well. Bringing us out of that pit of our own sin, making us his children, promising to be with us, and even opening our mouths to proclaim the impossible, marvelous things which God has done in our lives. And Remy Goles did a very good job of being Paul and going around to all the people proclaiming Jesus is risen from the dead. We pray that Jesus would give us that same energy in our lives as well. All of these impossible things and so many more Jesus does in our lives each and every day because we are the hosts of God. Because he has come down to be with us. When Jacob wakes up and mistakenly thinks that there is something special about this place, this plot of land, that God's house is here in this location, how does he react? He says, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. He is amazed. He is humbled. He is astounded that God should choose to dwell in this place. How much more astounded would he have been if he had understood correctly that it was not that place where God dwells, but with him. How much more amazing is it when we understand that God dwells in our hearts? When Jacob thought that there was something special about that place, he built an altar. When Moses was confronted by the burning bush, he was told to take off his sandals because this is holy ground. In the Old Testament, no one, except for the high priest, was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies because they were coming into the presence of God. And no one, not even the high priest, was allowed to touch the Ark of the Covenant, which was the seat of God, or they would die. All of this teaches us that God is separate from sin and that that which has been sanctified and set apart as the house of God should not be defiled by sin. We ourselves instinctively know that we should not goof off or play around in the sanctuary, in the church, especially up near the altar, which is the house of God. How much more true is that when we understand correctly that the house of God is not a building, but our own hearts. If places and objects ought to be reverenced and kept from defilement, how much more ought our own lives and body ought to be honored as the home of God. And yet we so often defile ourselves with sin. Paul, speaking of this very thing, tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to God. If objects and things ought to be sanctified because they symbolize the presence of God, how much more should our lives be sanctified when God tells us they are the house of God? And yet the question is, how? How do we sanctify our lives and make ourselves fit for the the dwelling of God? If we attempt again to climb up those stairs by our works and sanctify our lives in that manner, once again we find that we were not listening and that we have failed. We cannot sanctify ourselves. We cannot ascend to God. But once again, God comes down to us and sanctifies us and makes us fit for his dwelling. He comes to us by the use of his word and in the use of his sacraments, the Lord's Holy Supper and baptism. He comes to us in confession, both public, that we do in church, and private, that we do before the pastor. He comes to us in the daily use of his word, which is why it is so important to make daily use of his word, to sanctify us and to live and walk among us. He sanctifies us through these things by the blood of Christ. Christ is that stairway which leads to God. And in Christ is the stairway by which God lives among us and does the impossible, even the impossible marvelous thing of sanctifying us and cleansing us to be his holy people. We are Bethel. We are the house of God. And because Jesus lives with us, He does the impossible in our lives each and every day. Amen.